This is Mount Pleasant United Methodist Church. Welcome to our sermon podcast. Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. As we dig into God's Word, I hope that it, is, it touches you where you are, um, but also moves you from where you are into something even, even better. I, sometimes as the, the praise team, you know, they, they have these songs that will just kind of hit you right where you are. They just kind of engage you both, you know, in, in singing, but also just really kind of, there's a part of what music does that it just kind of hits you in, in, in your heart in a special way. And in the second song that they did, the, the hallelujah song, right, there's that moment of just singing hallelujah. You're raising a hallelujah. And I hope that in that moment of, of raising that hallelujah that you feel God's presence or even calling upon your life to, to, do, to go from where you are into something even better. And I remember as, as we sing that, you know, the, the, the energy seems to build to, to a crescendo of, you know, to raise, you know, or raise a king. The king is alive and we're singing a hallelujah. Now, if you feel God's movement in that song, if you feel that that energy is flowing through you, then you already know what I'm talking about. But there are times when you look around and you, you, you see people that are doing this kind of thing, right? I'm raising a hallelujah. The king is alive. You know. Now, some, that's even, that's even hoping that you're, you're singing, right? Because sometimes we just look and we say, well, I don't, I don't want to look foolish want to look foolish by singing, so I'm just going to stand there and look foolish by standing there. Um, but either way, you're looking foolish. So this morning, this is about you getting engaged. So this is about you finding a different place in your life, about going to a different level in your life, about discovering more. Right? Jesus didn't come in order to say, hey guys, just hang in there. In another 40 or 50 years, you're going to die, and then I'll take over. Right? It's about building a better life in the here and now. Now, how many of you are familiar with building a house? You've either built a house, you've seen it built, you know how it works, right? Raise your hand. Yeah, everybody should raise your hand. You basically know how it's done, right? If you've seen it or you've been a part of it. Where do you start when you start building a house? How many of you say... Right. How many of you say the foundation? Yeah, and you'd be wrong. That's not where it begins. Where does it begin? The plan. The plan. The vision. Right? Somebody has in their mind not just a house, not just four walls. They have in their mind a home. And maybe they have a place for family and, and a place for meals and a place for, commu- you know, to, to, to relax and, and, and build, a place for, for sleeping and for cleaning and a place where you do life together. That's where it begins with a vision of what you could be, what could happen. And then maybe they start with an architect or they start with drawings or a blueprint of, okay, so this is, this is the goal, this is the vision, right? So how do we get from there to where we are. And then we start with things like the foundation, right? Nobody ever goes out into a field and said, hey guys, just lay a slab of concrete and we'll just see what pops up. Or they don't go out into the middle of the field and say, hey, just start lay- laying some, some piping for the plumbing and, and, and some wiring and then we'll just see if the walls come up and what happens and we'll go from there. 
There's always a plan. There's always a vision about what can happen. You're, no, you're not really that much different. God had a vision, a plan. He, he knew when he put you together for this time in this place what is possible. But here's what happens is over time, that story kind of gets hijacked or it takes a detour. Things happen and, and what you started out with isn't really what you ended up with. There was a movie, maybe you've heard of it. He was a silent movie actor. His name was Buster Keaton. How many of you are familiar with Buster Keaton? Buster Keaton uh, was a silent movie um, comedian. He, he did silent movies. He did kind of the slapstick. And, and he made a movie in the 20s, and I actually don't remember the name of the movie, but in the movie, he's trying to, to woo uh, uh, this young lady. And, and one of the ways that he wants to do that is he wants to build her a house that you know, she can move into, that, that he can show that he's, he's a responsible kind of guy. So in those days, he did what a lot of people would do, and, and he ordered it from a mail-order catalog which means that the house came in pieces and they came in boxes. And what you had to do is you, you got a plan, but each box had a number on the plan and you had to just put them together. And the idea is if you could put them together in the right way, in the, in the right sequence, you'd have this beautiful house according to the plan. Unfortunately, unknown to him, there was sort of an enemy, somebody that was also trying to go after this young lady. And so he went in, in the dark of night and he changed all of the numbers on all of his boxes. And so, of course, he doesn't know this, and so he puts the house together. And the house is a disaster, right? The, the windows are sideways, there is, you know, the, the roof is in different levels, um, there are staircases that are leading absolutely nowhere, um, and it's, but it's a, it's a, it's a comedy, and, and he's kind of going through this whole thing. And I feel that sometimes, if I've remembered that over the, the years, and I've remembered that sometimes we feel like that too. We, we look at our lives and we said, how did I get here? Right? When I was, when I was a, a child or when I was a teen, I thought my life would be so different. And then problems creep up. We have detours in our lives. We thought the marriage that we would have would be there always, and sometimes it is, and Sometimes it isn't, and sometimes there's diseases that creep in, and there's unemployment, and there's problems in our relationships, and things fall apart. What we as a church are called to do is remind all of us that, that you're, this is kind of, our, kind of our, my go-to thing right now, that you're made for more than where you are, uh, that, that you are a work in progress, that no matter, no matter where your building project is, you're not done yet. Some of us kind of feel like we've just given up, right? I kind of feel like a lot of us, when we think about our own life journey, this is kind of, oh, it didn't make it in. Okay. That sometimes our lives or our, build, our houses don't seem like where we are today. That sometimes where we are, we've kind of given up. And, and maybe we live in, in, in a situation that we're not really happy with, but we just say, that's just the way it is. What we're calling you to do is to recognize that God has something more for you. He's calling disciples, he's calling these fishermen and these, these peasants into something more grand and glorious than even they are aware of. And so this morning, I want to invite you to three, rethink your life in terms of what God has in store for you. And so this morning, we're going to be taking a look, there we are, 
and asking the question, what is our message? What is it that we as a church are uniquely gifted to do to share with a community that is in desperation? Because what we find is most of the world that we live in has kind of given up thinking of anything better for their lives than just kind of going through the motions and paying bills. And we have the opportunity to reach into their world and offer a new beginning. I wanted to share a, a poem that I found this week from a guy by the name of James Allen Francis who, was, who lived in the 18th century. And he tells a story about our message, about the core of the gospel. And he tells it this way. He said, now, I want to share with you a man who was born in an obscure village. He was the child of peasant woman. He grew up in an out-of-the-way place, and he worked as a, in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home, and he never had a family. He never went to college. He never put a foot inside a very large city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He had no but himself. He had nothing to do in the world. He had nothing to do with, his, with this world except the naked power of his divine presence. While he was still a young man, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him, and he was nailed to a cross between two thieves. As he was dying, they gambled for his clothes. The only property they had on, his, on this earth was a simple coat that he wore around him. And when he was dead, he was taken down and he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a close friend. Now, here's the key. He said, 19 wide centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of our column of progress. He said, I am far within the mark when I say that all of the armies that have ever marched, all of the navies that have ever been built, all of the parliaments that have ever been that have ever sat, all of the kings that have ever reigned, even all of the presidents that have ever been elected, if we have put them all together, they have not affected the life of, a solitary, of this solitary man and the power he had to change the world. That is our message. And yet I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struck a little bit that when we talk about the power of this one individual to change the course of human history over the past 20 centuries, I am struck by the fact that so often we are rather blasé about it all, aren't we? We take it in our passing and we say, well, sure, he probably did some good things. Of course, he changed the course of human history. He changed the course of the way we see ourselves. He changed the course of what we do and how we do it. But I can kind of take it or leave it. And so I'm asking the question this morning, or I've been asking over the last couple of weeks of myself, what's missing? If we as a community gather together and our core is that we were made for more than just going through the motions, why is it that oftentimes that message can so easily be put off to the side? That on a Sunday morning like today in the middle of February, that we can kind of go, I just don't know that I feel up to it today. I don't know that I feel like going that deep or I, I don't know that I feel like looking at my life through a microscope. I don't know that I want to know the path that I'm on or the journey that I'm on. This morning, we're going to be asking the question, what's missing for you? 
in your own journey of faith, in your own expression, in your own relationship with Jesus, do you find that it sometimes feels boring? Does it feel dry? Does it feel like it's going nowhere in particular? My, when I was a kid, as I was growing up, my father used to teach me about cars. And one of the things that he always told me about cars is especially if you ever get into your car and you're driving down and one of those little lights show up on your car, that's not good. As a matter of fact, he said, you know what they call those little lights on your car? They call them an idiot light. He said, the reason is, is because if those lights come on, it's too late. He said, if the little light comes on and it shows a little oil can or something like that, he said, you already have problems. You should have already checked it long before it got to that place. If you get to that place, if you see smoke rolling out of the engine, the disaster has already come. The challenge for all of that, for all of us, is that sometimes we all wait until the idiot light comes on in our own lives and say, oh, how did that happen? Well, this morning we're going to ask those kind of questions. We're going to say, what's going on in your life? Are you aware of the things that are happening? Because your life is composed of three primary areas in your life, your emotional life, how do you feel about yourself and about those that are around you? These are the feelings of love and, and, and empathy. There's the spiritual life. It's the thing that calls you to something higher than yourself, something aspirational, something that inspires you to get up in the morning and to do your very best. And of course, then there's your physical life. All three are interwoven. All three will influence one another. So this morning, we want to take a look at your spiritual life and figure out what is happening. And we're going to do that by taking a look at a series of events that happen in Jesus' life and how Jesus sees them different than the people that are around them. And maybe in the process, you can enter in and try and figure out where would I be in this story. This morning, I'm going to start by reading from Matthew chapter 14. Now, a little bit of preamble. Prior to this, John the Baptist has died. He was beheaded by, by Herod, and we find that Jesus has been told about this, and it has a profound effect on him. It was his cousin. Uh, John was one of his best supporters. Uh, he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Uh, John is the one that says, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now John is dead, and, and I imagine that Jesus is grieving the loss of his cousin and of his friend, and he's probably also asking a little bit of the question, what are we doing here? How is this all working out? What, what is this really all about? There's those times in our lives where we need to get away. We, we, reach, we read this in Matthew chapter 14. When Jesus had heard what had happened uh, to John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the, town, from the towns. And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. 
So Jesus is trying to get away. He's trying to withdraw to a solitary place so he can kind of get his act together. Have you ever been where after a very long week, a very hard week, you've been really busy, a lot going on, you just say, I just need some downtime. I just need to kind of get away from the hectic pace. And Jesus is doing that. He says, I want to withdraw to a solitary place, but people are finding him. And they're coming to him, and, and he, he looks on them, and, he, and it says he had compassion on them, and he ministers to them. Now, have you ever been in a situation where maybe you're, you're part of something big, like maybe a, a family reunion, or you've been a part of a, a big gathering all day, and, and from the, the time that you got up in the morning, you're either preparing food, you're setting things out, you're getting everything ready, people are coming in, there's activity all day, even well into the night. It's just kind of draining always to be on, always to be aware of other people, never really being able to withdraw. And so Jesus is feeling the energy. And finally, they get to a place where he has compassion, and, and the disciples want to send them away and say, hey, look, these people need to go and get something to eat. And Jesus looks at him and said, how about you? You take care of them. And I go, what are we going to do? Right? There are 5,000. This is the part of the feeding of the 5,000. And they says, we don't know what to do. What are we going to do with these people? Send them away. Let them take care of themselves. And Jesus said, tell me what you got. What do you got? So well, I don't know. We got five loaves and two fish. So well, let's, let's start there. And so you take what little you have and you give it to Jesus and he begins to multiply it in those 5,000. Now, in those days, primarily they only counted the men. So if we kind of do a little bit of math, we can probably estimate that somewhere between 15 and 20,000 people were gathered around Jesus, and he's the center of attention. His energy is drained. He's, he's ministering to the people that are coming. He's teaching them, but he's also feeding them. He has this compassion upon them. In, as we move on to chapter 15, now some Pharisees and the teachers of the law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they ask him, why are your disciples disobeying your age, our age-old traditions? For they are ignoring our traditions of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. So in all of this, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is healing people, lame and walk, and they're coming and people's lives are being changed. And there are some people that are coming and saying, you know what I'm getting out of all of this? They're not washing their hands. Have you ever been like that in a situation where God is opening a door for you to a new life, and you're saying, yes, but if they would wash their hands first, that would make all the difference. Have you ever put up barriers or, or obstacles to what God is trying to do? Have you ever been one of those people saying, I would join, but it meets on the wrong day? You know what I mean? If they would meet on a time that is convenient for me, I might get involved. I don't know. Well, the Pharisees are always pushing back against what Jesus is trying to do. That in all of these activities, the one thing that they get is that he's not washing his hands. I can see Jesus kind of being in a situation going, really? That's what you're getting out of all of this? That the traditions are not being followed? That it's not the way you did it as a kid? Is that what's bothering you the most? Jesus then moves on because, so what you're feeling now is the pressure is building on what he's trying to do. The pressure is building on who Jesus is and, and the stress. It goes on to tell us, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is a way of saying he's moving into the world of the Gentiles. 
He's moving out of the Judean place, and he's moving into, into a world of Gentiles. And he climbed a hill, and he sat down. And a vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, crippled, blind and crippled, and those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. And the crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking, the cripples were made well, the lame were walking, and the blind could see again. And this is the part that I like. And they praised the God of Israel. All of these Gentiles because of what Jesus was doing in their lives, had come to know the God of Israel because Jesus had been ministering and had compassion upon them. So Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I have compassion for these people, for they have already been with me for three days, and, nothing, and they have had nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, now where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd. And Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? Now, the interesting thing is if you remember, in a chapter just before this, he just got done feeding 5,000. See, sometimes wherever we see obstacles, Jesus sees opportunities. Whenever we see a problem, how are we going to deal with that? Jesus sees potential. We will always see an obstacle prior to the door being opened, to the potential being realized. But there's a key here that seems to be missing. So whenever we look at our own faith journey, and we're saying, my, my faith seems to be lagging, it seems to be dry, it seems to be empty, there's something that is still missing that Jesus is trying to teach us. Now, I'm going to show you a, a series of pictures, and I just want, to, want you to get an emotional response. I want you to think about your emotional response to the following pictures. There's a couple of feelings that will come over you initially. And one of the things that happens is we will go through a progression of how we will see or respond to not just the pictures, but to those kind of situations. If you, clearly, each of them has to deal with, with a situation of poverty or a situation of need. And what we've been talking about is all of the people that are coming to Jesus in a time where he, he needs to get away, he's drained, he's, he needs some solitary uh, perspective, but he also responds. Now, we will respond in different ways. The first thing is, is we might just ignore it. We just say, that's not for me, that I have nothing to deal with that. And sometimes that'll happen. If you've ever been in a large city, if you've ever been in like New York, or you've been, ever been in Atlanta, sometimes there are people that live on the street. They, they might even lay down on a heating grate. And what'll happen is, is when you're coming into that world from mineral wells, you're kind of going, wow, I look at this. But people that live there for a while, it's just background noise. You don't even notice it anymore, right? And so there comes a point where you don't even see needs anymore. It's just part of the background noise. You just don't even see people anymore. They just become people that pass by. But sometimes what can happen is the lowest level is you can get to a place of pity, right? Pity is that level where you see people. You recognize a need and you, you see it and you recognize it, but you let it pass by you. Um, this happens to all of us. We all kind of go through these phases. They, they happen in different levels. But you can go by different people and you can see them. You recognize that there is a need there. 
If you ever go a little bit deeper, you can actually get to a place of sympathy. A sympathy is a, a level where you get and you can kind of go, I feel bad for you. So imagine that you're driving out of Walmart and maybe there is somebody that is on the little island between the, the car, where the cars go, and they've got up a sign that they're either homeless or they need something. And you can look at them, you can say, I, I see you there, I see that you have a need, and then I feel bad for you. Um, I wish you well. I, I hope things work out for you. You may give them something, you may not, but you see them and you recognize them. That's sympathy, right? If you ever get into a little bit deeper, the deeper level is, is empathy. Empathy is the level where you say, I enter into that world with you. It, it, sometimes when, when somebody is grieving, it is very difficult. You don't know what to say, but you enter into a grieving world with them in order to, to lead them out. You, you say, I feel your suffering with you. I am with you in feeling your suffering in your pain. But the highest level and the one that we need to get to and the one that is the most difficult and the most challenging is the level of compassion. I will respond to your suffering. Compassion is always the sense of feeling. I feel what you're going through, but it is also gives rise to an action. I, I will respond in some way to do what I can. Compassion is really the fuel for spiritual growth. It's, it's that idiot light. We've all had that in our cars where you're driving along and you hear that little bing, right? Saying, hey, you're getting kind of low here, right? You might want to start looking for a gas station before you run out. Unfortunately, our spiritual lives don't have that. You don't have this little bing, hey, pay attention because you're running dry here. But compassion is the engagement, the feeling, the sense of faith giving rise to an action. Because here's what can happen so easily. We can say, I believe in Jesus. I understand it up here. I, I, I get it. I know that Jesus came to save the world. I understand that. I know that he died and he, he resurrected. It just doesn't play out in my life. I'm just not doing anything with it. It hasn't made it from here to here. Compassion is when the faith that God has given you gives rise to some sort of action. It is both sympathy, a sense of feeling, an intense feeling, as well as a response and an action, giving rise to some sort of action. So the challenge for you this morning is how is your faith actually being transferred into some sort of tangible action in somebody's life? It will make the world of difference. It moves it from being sympathy, saying, I feel bad for you, to compassion of saying, I am part of the solution, not just a, a critic. So to be a part of the compassion, the first thing that you want to do is, is it personally, are you personally invested in it? Does it require something of you, something sacrificial? something powerful. Maybe it's your time, your talent, and your treasure. The reason that Jesus said in Luke's gospel, your heart will be where your treasure is, is because he's allowing you to do some self-evaluation. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's allowing you to do some self-evaluation. Many times we enter into a, uh, in a church, we talk about stewardship. And oftentimes we talk about how to get invested in the life of the church, how to make a difference in the life of the church. And oftentimes what people will say is, you know what I hear? I hear that it's all about money. You're just after my money. That's because you haven't made the connection from the feeling to the action. 
Are you personally invested both with time, your talents, and your treasure? Is it spiritually dri driven? It's not just about what you're doing for somebody else. It's about what they are doing for you. You get to see that your life is making a profound influence, a profound impact in the world. You recognize that God has given you the gifts and the talents, the time to make a positive influence like Peter, James, and John. You enter into that world of being a true disciple. And then ask yourself, am I actively engaged? Am I part of the movement of the life of the church in this world? So how do we do that? There's a couple of ways that you can do that. One is to do just one simple little act of kindness for someone every day, every day. I brought a jar that I have in my office. Sometimes people will come into my office and they'll bring me their change. And this goes in my jar. And what happens is whenever this jar is filled with coins, I take it, uh, I can't remember where I take it, but I take it somewhere and they count it. And then I take that money and I send it down to Haiti for, people to, for the kids to go to school or for, uh, for food and clothing. Now, the thing is, is the reason that I show you this is it reminds me of a story that Fred Craddock once told. He said, a man went into the church and he said, Pastor, I want to make a huge donation. I'm going to give you a check for $50,000. Pastor says, that's fabulous, right? I mean, that's always fabulous. And he said, but here's what I want you to do. He said, I want to give that back to you. And I want you to go back to the bank and I want you to cash it in for quarters. Now, imagine that the bank was shocked when they got that. But if you do the math... It's about 200,000 quarters. He said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to give those quarters away to people in 50 cents, dollar, five dollar increments to be a blessing into their lives and to let them know that Jesus loves them. And the guy goes, Pastor, are you kidding me? That'll take a lifetime to do. And he said, exactly. That's what it means to be a disciple. To take your gifts and your talents, do one little act of kindness, each and every day into somebody's life, and you'll find that it adds up over time. Use one little word of kindness into somebody's life, right? Go to somebody that you know and say, wow, you look wonderful today. Make their, make their day special. I notice you today. What you're really saying is, I notice you. I see you. People want to know that they matter. Say one little prayer. We've been talking about how we as a church can pray for our church and one another. What a difference does it make if you use those cell phones that everybody has? And tomorrow, you just send somebody a text message. Just out of nowhere, just say, hey, I wanted to let you know I'm praying for you today. I want you to have a great day. I'm praying for you today, your family or your spouse, to let them know that you're special. Compassion is not just saying, I feel something for you, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to put it into action. What Jesus was able to do is to say, do you see? The questions that we need to ask is, what do you see? When you walk around at your job, when you walk around in the community, when you walk around the church, what do you see? Do you see the needs that people have? Do you see their desire for loneliness? Do you see them trying to build a house, but they don't know how? Trying to build a life, but they're broken and they're alone? Are you able to see what Jesus saw? The disciples said, send them away. Let them get something to eat. Jesus said, don't you see? What if they collapse on the way? 
You give them something to eat. What do you see? What would it be like to be in their situation? What would it be like to be in their shoes? What would it be like for you to come to the food pantry because you need it? What would it be like for you to come because you need the help? What would it be like to have people welcome you and say, how can I, how can I pray for you? How can I help you? How can I partner you? What's your name? How do I get to know who you are as a real human being with real needs? And finally, what would Jesus do? I know that they made all those wristbands and it kind of got overblown. But when you're faced with an uncertainty, how would Jesus have responded? How would he have spoken to people that needed him the most? I believe we as a church can make a huge difference. I believe we can and I believe that we are. The difference is, is I believe that God is loving his children through us, through you and me. When you are actually helping and serving and active, God is flowing through you. And I don't care who you are, that makes you the most important person. When God is flowing through you, through your words, through your smile, through your warmth, that makes you a saint in anybody's book. God is using you. To make a difference. So here's the challenge I have for all of us here at the church. Live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. You become the hands and feet of God. You become who God wants you to be. You become an expression of Christ into the world. Do you feel that that little light is on in your life? Then maybe you need to recognize that you need to get re-engaged in changing the world. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about one decision. One decision at a time. Make that decision a desire to get involved, to go from feeling to action, to response, to get involved in the life of what Jesus is doing among us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we've gathered this morning because you've called us out of darkness into light. You've called us out of apathy into action. And Father, you reveal to us the potential that we have to change the world. Help us, Father, not just to see and to sympathize, but to have compassion, to be active and alive. And help us, Father, to do all that we can to bring Jesus into the world, that he may bless and love and keep all of us until the day that you return. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.